a great blessing to us that we have a, an enduring word that is never changing. Um, do take a seat. Uh, we're going to uh, pray in a moment before we begin to look at some bits of the, of the Bible together. Let me, um, let me add my welcome to Scott, um, and let me just take a moment to explain how we're going to go about this topic. Scott said we're going to think a little bit about, about work and what uh, the Bible would, would tell us uh, about uh, the nature of work and our engagement with work. Um, it's a subject, I think, that, that, as Scott has already suggested, we have distinctly mixed feelings about, don't we? Um, J.M. Barry, the creator of Peter Pan, had this to say about work. Nothing is really work unless you would rather be doing something else. Um, quite like that sort of take uh, on work. Something of a, a resistance in us uh, to the business of work. But, but on the other hand, uh, Martin Luther King had this to say, no work is insignificant. All labor that uplifts humanity has dignity and importance and should be undertaken with painstaking excellence. This striking contrast between our love of work and our hate of work, that we delight in it and yet we rail against it. Um, Tonight, as we think about the Bible's teaching on work, I hope we'll discover why there are those strange mixed feelings in us uh, about work. Um, two introductory comments. Uh, first, uh, can I say that as we think about work this evening, I'm thinking and speaking broadly. Um, our work might involve a paid job, but it might not involve being paid for the work that we do. Parents do lots of work looking after children. Uh, homemakers do lots of work uh, in their role at home. So while I'll reference different kinds of work and jobs um, and careers and the rest as we go through, um, please keep holding in mind that I'm thinking about work in that, in that broad perspective. Uh, second, at the risk of stating the obvious, uh, we're going to think Christianly uh, about work. We're going to be focusing on what the Bible has to tell us about the nature of work and our engagement uh, with it. And, and, and in order to do that, I've, I've decided we're going we're to do a sort of, uh, kind of a, a sweep across the Bible in thinking about work. So we're, we're going to use this sort of um, Bible timeline, if you like, uh, starting with creation, uh, continuing to the fall, uh, then reflecting on the impact of redemption before we look finally at restoration. And we're going to take one Bible passage for each of those four uh, as we work our way through. Um, I hope that's going to, going to help rather than just feel like a bit of a, a, bit of a rush uh, with not enough time on each passage. Uh, we'll see. Um, lots for us to do there. Um, if, if the timings... We'll see how we feel at the end. If, um, if the timings work out well, maybe we'll even pause for a bit and have a little bit of to and fro together if uh, there are some comments or, or some questions that... Uh, people have uh, from what we thought about together. Shall I pray for us? I think we're going to need help um, to, to listen carefully to God. So, so let me pray. Uh, Lord God, you, you are our creator, and so you know uh, how you would have us be. You know how you would have us live, uh, the purposes you've made us for. Uh, the way in which we can uh, live uh, to your honour and praise and glory. And given that, uh, that all of us uh, engage with work, 
um, in, uh, in many different ways uh, for large parts of, um, of our lives. Uh, we see this as something that we, we do so want to know your wisdom on. Uh, so please help us um, in, in the short amount of time we have uh, to attend carefully uh, and to, to find that your spirit applies your word uh, to our lives individually and specifically. Uh, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So Peter is going to have to do the sort of the quick twos and fro's um, over the next um, uh, few minutes, and he's going to begin for us in Genesis chapter 2. Uh, So the first reading is from Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 to 18, and that's on page 4 of the Church Bibles. So Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust, the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden From there, it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Thank you very much, Peter, for reading that. So, um, just just two very quick and very simple observations from this first um, passage as we think about um, this creation account, um, where where we discover that work is good. Remember where we are. We, we are at the very start of creation, um, and we're in, the, we're in the part of the Bible, this first chapter, where again and again we get that repeated refrain, 
God saw all that he had made, and it was good. Um, so this is the, the good creation that God has established, and within it is work. Uh, work does not arrive as um, some sort of um, remedial step that becomes necessary uh, because things all go wrong. No, work is there from the very beginning, part of God's original plan. Um, you, you notice also that work seems to be woven into the very way that God wants things to operate. Um, you notice that in verse 5. Um, the earth is, is kind of unfinished, isn't it? It's devoid of plants. It's not quite as God wants it yet. Why not? Because there's two things missing. The first thing that's missing is there's no rain, uh, so things haven't grown yet. The second thing that's missing is there's no one to work the ground. And until those two things happen, the rain comes and somebody's there to work the ground, the plants won't grow. That's striking. God needs his creatures, Adam and Eve, to be the gardeners that will enable the earth to be the way that God wants it to be. So, God set things up so that man working is crucial. Man and woman working is crucial if the earth is to be as it should be. That's quite a dignity to work, isn't it? Um, and, and what's more? People doing work... Um, is part of their image bearing. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't read it, but just at the very beginning of chapter 2, uh, we see there that uh, the Lord God finished the work that he had been doing. God's a worker. He has worked to produce creation. Um, and you remember in the New Testament when people criticized Jesus for healing on the Sabbath? This is what he had to say. He said, my father is always at his work to this very day and I too am working. So two, two things, work is good, and work is also an imitation of God. Doing work as part of what it is to be human and to be image bearers of God. And, and, and that must be why the redundancy and unemployment, and even to some extent retirement, is often so difficult for people because we hate not having a job. We hate not having purpose. We hate not having something that contributes and achieves. It, it's sort of, it's difficult for us when those things are absent. Even, even in retirement, um, if we find nothing to, to as it were, to, to be working at, uh, people will often struggle. Work, it seems, gives us a sense of purpose and meaning and value. And yet, we hate Monday mornings, as Scott was suggesting right at the beginning of our service. So what's that about? If, if work is so good in the way that I've said, how come we have such a, a love-hate relationship with it and we find work tiresome and irritating and we keep wanting to run away from it? What's that about? Well, come to our second reading. Uh, we're in Genesis chapter 3 now. Not moving very fast. This could be a long talk. Um, we're in Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to pick it up straight after Adam and Eve have taken the fruit that they were forbidden to eat. Uh, and God speaks out the words that we're going to hear now, first to the serpent, then to the woman, 
and then to the man. Um, and notice in these curses, because that's what they are, notice what God has to say about work particularly. Peter. So Genesis chapter 3, starting at verse 14. So the Lord God said to the snake, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So I want to suggest to you that the, the striking thing about these curses is how many of them are corruptions or distortions of that which is good. So things that God had, had planned and created and, and, and given to his people are, are now in some way warped. They're still there, um, and yet now they're, they're not as they were, not as they should be. Uh, they're distorted versions um, of the original. Um, and it, it, that, that includes a, a number of key features, both for Eve and for Adam. So, so one of the things for Eve, clearly, is her ability to be able to bear children, uh, to lead to Adam and Eve being able to fill the earth, to, um, uh, to, to multiply and fill the earth. Um, but now that function, that good function, uh, that childbearing becomes painful uh, and laboured. Uh, we don't use that word for, for no reason, uh, the, the pain uh, of the excruciating pain of childbearing. Uh, and Adam told to work the ground and take care of it, and that work too was good. But now it becomes painful toil. And the ground, we're told, is going to produce thorns and thistles. Good things have been corrupted and ruined. And I think that goes some way to explaining our strangely mixed feelings about work. That, that we, uh, we hate it when we haven't got a job and we hate it when we have got a job. Um, we have this sort of strange um, ambivalence um, in relation uh, to working uh, because it's been something good has been corrupted and it retains its goodness and yet it also has the shadow of the fall now resting upon it. Um, I think that gets expressed in, in a number of different ways. Sometimes work simply feels difficult because we are lazy. 
there's something about us that, that, that retreats from work now. There, there, is a, there is a laziness about us sometimes. But at other times, work becomes difficult, not because we avoid it, but because we expect too much from it. Um, one, one way of describing the fall, one way of describing sin, the way that Romans describes it, is that we come to worship the creation instead of the Creator. And that's, that's the idea of idolatry. Instead of worshipping God, we worship something that God has made. Uh, we, we find a substitute God, uh, an idol. Well, you can see, can't you, that, that one of the ways that things can get distorted for us in relation to work is that work can become an idol. Work can become the thing that we live for. L work can become that which we worship. Something that God has given us, a good gift from Him, becomes too important to us. And we treat it like it is the thing that will make our life worth living. But it's God that makes our life worth living. It's God that we should live for. We don't live to work. But the, the arrival of sin, the arrival of this sort of corruption this distortion of our hearts means that we find that we can worship our work, become consumed by it, give ourselves too much to it, expect everything from it, make it the reason for living. It, probably that, it would be fair to say that that is probably more true uh, for those who are in the sort of the white-collar professional career end probably more vulnerable to that error uh, than somebody who probably has a, a crisper, cleaner understanding of work, which is that it's a, it's a work to be done, but it's not the reason that they live. Um, it happens ever so subtly, doesn't it? Um, we want to do our job well, and we'll come to that in a second, but very easily it becomes all important to us. So, you know, as a, as a pastor, as a preacher, all too easy for me to become, become somebody who is living for my work. Just because my, my work is about preaching, about serving in a church, doesn't stop me ending up with a wrong attitude towards my work and feeling as if my significance is bound up with being a pastor and being a preacher. It's just an interesting thing for me that having stepped away from being vicar, that's been a sort of interesting transition for me, letting go of a role, letting go of something that very easily gives me a sense of significance and stepping away from it. We're all prone to that, beginning to develop our identity from what we do rather than deriving our identity from our relationship with the Lord. So, creation. Work is good. It's God's gift to us. The fall, uh, work is damaged. We fall into to wrong attitudes, perhaps laziness, perhaps idolatry, uh, making uh, our work too much. So, third, um, what does being a Christian, what does being part of God's redeemed people mean for our work? How, how does that shift things? Uh, for those of us that would um, profess Christ and want to follow him, um, how does our discipleship change the way that we do work?
Well, our passage here is going to be Colossians chapter 3, and uh, 22 through to 4, 1. Um, now, you, you'll hear in a moment as Peter reads it that this is a passage written to slaves about their relationship with their masters. Um, and you might be thinking, that doesn't apply to me. Um, some of you in your jobs may think, well, this absolutely applies to me. Uh, this is very much what my job feels like. Um, but uh, please understand that the, the, the slavery that the New Testament describes is, is much closer, actually, to an employer-employee relationship of today than it is to the, the, the outrages of the African slave trade. Um, New Testament slavery, rather different thing uh, to African sort of slave trade uh, horrors. Um, so, so I think it is closer to an employee-employee relationship um, and, uh, and will help us. So I think we're justified in seeking out some links here. Um, so... Uh, listen as Peter reads, and again, see what it has to say about our attitude to work. Great. So that's Colossians 3, starting at verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So, it seems to me that the, the main point that comes from this passage seems pretty clear. Um, it is the way in which becoming a Christian transforms our work by changing the person that we're working for. Isn't that what we're seeing here? Look at verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. See, see the shift of the person that you're working for. Says, says to this slave, you're not now to see yourself as, as working just for your human master. No, now see yourself as to be working for the Lord, even as you serve your human master. Get the same again at the end of verse 24. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. So whatever work a Christian does can be seen as work done for the Lord. Well, how can that be so? Um, a couple of ways, I think. One sense is that our work contributes to, to, to keeping the world going, if I can't put it too, too grandly like that. We, we play our part, whether we're cleaning the streets or keeping the banking system going. Our society, our culture, depends upon all sorts of different kinds of work to, to, to make the world work, if I can put it like that. So uh, we are, in that sense, contributing to, to just keeping... Uh, the social order going, keeping society moving, um, whatever our work is. 
But I think there's a second sense in which our work is done for the Lord, and that relates to the way in which we do it. Sometimes there will be specific ways that we should do our work in a way that it is done for the Lord. Sometimes you may find yourself in a job with ethical decisions to make uh, in, in the realm of work that you're involved in. And you might have to make decisions about how you will behave because your first priority is obedience to the Lord. And sometimes, uh, I was listening to um, Tim Keller speaking about a time that an actor in New York came to see him to say, what sort of roles should I take as a Christian? What's an acceptable role for a Christian to play? Good question, wasn't it? Does being a Christian shape that sort of detail of your choice of your work? Um, But whether there are specific ways that you can identify or not, there are general ways that will always be true Um, in the way that Francis was picking out. God wants us to be honest in our work. He expects us to be faithful in our work. He wants us to be kind and to be patient and to be humble and to be loving in our work because he wants that of us all the time. Those are characteristics that he wants of all of his children all of the time. So they, so they certainly will apply in the workplace. From, from, a, from a software engineer to a street cleaner, from a bus driver to a bank manager, from a dentist to a stay-at-home parent, whatever our role, we will want to find ways that, that, that means we, we, we act and behave and speak in ways that are godly. We do it, in other words, as this passage says, not to curry favour with the boss, and to say what, what we think will be pleasing to our employers, to our line manager. No, no, we do what we know will mean obedience to the Lord. So when, when, a, when a shelf stacker kindly and thoughtfully helps an Aidley shopper uh, to find an item in Sainsbury's, and they are kind and thoughtful and generous with their time, and they do it because they're a Christian believer who is trying to to work out what it means to love my neighbour in my workplace, God is honoured. The question would be, how are you and I doing on this score? If you think about the last week of work that you've done, wherever it is, whether it's at home or whether it's at work, whatever form of work it's been, who have you been trying to please? Whose eyes have you been most conscious of? Whose gaze? Your boss? Trying to keep him or her happy? Or are you conscious of the gaze of the Lord? and trying to honour him with all that you do. Who are we trying to please? And whose reward do we want? Isn't that striking in this passage as well? Whatever you do, verse 23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance 
from the Lord as a reward. You sometimes hear people say that um, the, the only work that really matters uh, is gospel work. Because um, it's only gospel work that um, helps people become Christians, and it's only gospel work that builds people up as Christians. And at the end, in eternity, that's all that really matters. Sometimes hear that kind of thing being said. So it's striking here, isn't it, that this slave seeking to be godly in their work, we are told, receives an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It has eternal significance, this obedience. It doesn't just matter for now, it matters for eternity. Now, the way that you and I behave in our workplace. So, we've seen that creation, in, in creation, work is good, God's gift to us. We've seen in the fall how work is corrupted, not as it should be. And then thirdly, very briefly, we've seen the transformative effect that redemption has on work, uh, changing the way that we approach work because now we work as part of, and the way in which we work is part of our worship of Christ, seeking to please him. The final passage we're going to look at um, is looking at glorification, looking at eternity, looking at the restoration of all things um, in the new creation. Um, we're actually, in a sense, just focusing on one word, one verse at the very end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But because that verse begins with a therefore, um, we're going to read a few verses beforehand to see how it spills out in Paul's um, mind um, in this letter. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Peter. So that's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 50. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain.
So I hope you can see that, that whatever this verse is telling us um, about this work for the Lord spills out of everything that Paul has been saying throughout the rest of the chapter about the resurrection, about eternity, about the new creation that he has taught about so clearly through 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I need to tread carefully here. See, I've just said that all work is valuable, and it is. I've said that all work is honourable, and it is. I've said that all work can be done uh, in a way that brings glory to God, and it can. But carefully, I do want to say that there are still some priorities. Because when the New Testament speaks of the, the work of the kingdom, or as here, the work of the Lord, I think the New Testament does have something specific in mind. I think it does have in mind the work of bringing people to know Jesus Christ and of building them up in their knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's, that's what this chapter is all about. How, how are people going to enter into the eternal kingdom? How are they going to know resurrection life if they don't hear a gospel message to believe in and come from death to life? One day, the perishable will be replaced by the imperishable. One day, the mortal will give way to immortality. And it really does matter that people hear the gospel message that will enable them to share in immortality. So, in our determination, and it's a right determination, to say that all work is valuable and that all work has dignity and that all work matters to God, it wouldn't do to end up giving the impression that, for example, the work of healing a body and the work of saving a soul are the same thing. Because they're not, are they? The body is destined to perish. But the soul that is saved by the Lord is preserved for eternity. which is why we should all want to advance the kingdom by speaking of Christ. Now, some people, like me, get the extraordinary privilege of being set aside to do much more gospel work than others. But even in my role, there's a funny mixture of kind of non-gospel work and gospel work. You know, it would be... be if, if, if you imagine that I spend all of my time either studying the Bible or teaching it, then please let me kind of reassure you that that's not the case. Like, like all the rest of you, I spend lots of time answering emails, sort of checking, revising my address book, filling in appraisal forms, editing job descriptions, monitoring budgets, attending safeguarding courses, and the rest just like all the rest of you do in, if you're in paid employment, all of that. And just like you, I get some opportunities, and probably more than you, because you're very kindly paying money to set me aside for this role, I get more opportunities to speak the gospel, but so do you. All of us have got that funny mixture of kind of ordinary work, if I can put it like that, and the 
special, glorious work of being able to talk to people about Jesus. Whether it's to introduce them to Jesus or whether it's to speak the truth in love to help them grow uh, in Jesus. All of us do a mix of gospel work and other work. And in many ways, uh, those of you who are out in the workplace have lots more opportunities uh, to speak the gospel uh, to those who don't yet know Jesus. Irritatingly, most of my colleagues seem to be believers already. You'll be pleased to know. Um, so, in all sorts of ways, you get more opportunities if you're out in the workplace in that kind of context. Now, I hope I'm managing to tread the, 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 the tightrope that I'm trying to tread here. All work matters. All work has dignity. All work is pleasing to God, and all work can be done in a way that brings glory to God. But we shouldn't lose sight of the priorities that God still sets us. He says, seek first the kingdom. He says, take up your cross and follow me. He says, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Speaking of Christ does come first. Of course it does. And it's a work that all of us can do. Proclaiming the gospel to those who don't believe. Speaking the truth in love to those who do. So there you go, that's a high speed whiz through the Bible, uh, looking at what the Bible has to say about work, both in terms of creation, fall, redemption, and glorification. Um, why not... Um, we'll, we'll see whether this... Um, sometimes sort of a bit of to and fro is a good thing. Um, we don't often get a chance to do it, but we're not doing too badly for time. Why don't... Um, we'll pray in a moment, but let me give you a moment to, to reflect. Either reflect on your own, uh, if you prefer to do that, or talk to somebody next to you just for a few minutes. Um, anything that has surprised you, anything you disagree with, anything that is a fresh thought to you, or anything that you've been reminded of that you find helpful to have heard again, um, or any questions that you have, uh, things that we've not covered, and there's plenty we've not covered. Um, just, just chat to one another for a few minutes, and then we'll just see if uh, anyone's got any useful comments or questions that will help us. So let's just do that for a, for a moment or two.